This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your victim host, Javi, who's been victimized by Angel all day today. <laughs> Angel's been hurting my feelings. He's I'm ugly and I can't read good. I'm going to challenge him to podcast boxing. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. And, Actually, uh, we should open that up, man. Let's get other podcasts involved. I'd rather, much rather not. Pod Save America, we're coming for you. <laughs> I'd rather not be beat up by other nerds. Joe Rogan experience is coming <laughs> for you. This week we're covering, it's going to be the first horror movie in our horror series. I'm putting my finger quotes up because oh. it's kind oh. of a, it's, it's, it becomes a horror movie because the movie that follows this is Silence of the Lambs. How dare you disrespect last week's masterpiece? By James Wan and a bunch of people who I don't remember <laughs> were in that movie. <laughs> no, but I mean, this movie is, it really only gets pushed into the horror genre because of Silence of the Lambs, which comes I, like five years after it. But uh, guess, this week we're talking about Manhunter uh, from yeah. 1986, directed by Michael Mann. So and, it's... One thing I did want to mention, just kind of going back to the whole, well, how we pick our movies, right? So Angel and I do tend to pick movies for spooky season that have horror elements to them, which kind of opens up what we can, what we want to review pretty much. Because like, if you look guys look at the list, you know, like Manhunter's on here. Manhunter isn't horror per se, but it does draw on horror elements, um, you know, involving like a serial killer and environment, and I guess you know the real horrors of the human mind. <laughs> but then, like you know, we got Hellboy on the list, which people would be like, oh, "That's a superhero movie," but I'm gonna make a case how that can also be seen as a horror movie. So yeah, we're just trying to have fun with it and try to give you guys more things to watch during spooky season. So this movie is a movie that I picked. It was it was one of the movies on my list, and. Um... I've been wanting to talk about this movie on the podcast for a very long time, and I'm glad I finally have the opportunity to do that. This is a movie that I did not watch until high school or late high school. And the only reason I watched it was because in high school was when I discovered that this was a movie that was made in the Hannibal Lecter franchise, like, but it has like none of the actors from the later movies. Like it is. It's weird. It really is like, like a, a film school experiment where if you were like to take two different directors and give them the exact same like book, like the book Red Dragon by Thomas Harris and say, hey, make a movie based on this book and two different directors are going to give you two different views on it depending on what their style is. This movie wishes it was Red Dragon. Red Dragon is the best movie with Hannibal Lecter in it ever. You're a liar. No hyperbole. <laughs> You're a liar. You're a liar. Nah, nah, I stand by that. I'll, I'll argue with you. <laughs> um, 
it, so Michael Mann, you know, like I've seen his stuff and one of my favorite movies and my favorite movie of his is 1995 Heat uh, starring Robert De Niro and uh, Al Pacino. And I think the only reason why it makes sense to think about it in, in the terms of something like Heat is the director of photography for this movie. His name is Dante Spinati. He does Heat and he does this movie. So this it's stylistically, it feels very Michael Mann. Uh, the music feels like a lot like what he was doing on TV at the time, which was uh, the series Miami Vice. And um, it's kind of like, it's so weird to me, like to see basically a action movie guy who, and I would probably describe it like this. Like, I, I don't remember where I read this before, but um, <laughs> one of the, there's like a joke that said, you know, Michael Mann makes uh, guys looking at at sunset movies. <laughs> and that's kind of like what a lot of heat is. It's guys looking out at blue sunsets. And uh, this movie is very much like, oh, it's a Hannibal story, except it's like guys looking out at sunsets <laughs> at the same time. So it's um, a lot of stoic, smoldering looks out in the distance. <laughs> yeah. So I've read the novel Red Dragon. Um, <laughs> I, I like the Hannibal Lecter franchise of movies because obviously the movie that comes after this, Silence of the Lambs. And once I discovered how great that movie was, I wanted to go back and watch all the movies in, in the series. And funny enough, I think years and years and years ago, the first time I even heard of this movie was from you. Really? Oh, like you had mentioned the title of it. And I was like, there's no way that that movie is related to this. And I just remember one time I like randomly like did a search on the Internet and I was like, oh, shit, this is like the same movie there's francis dollarhide there's like all the characters from red dragon except they're all played by like 80s actors <laughs> and it's so strange but so i remember when i was a kid blockbuster used to send like you know here's what we have in store now like kind of pamphlets to the house right and i guess this kind of goes into like my first experience with manhunter is I remember seeing it like, oh, they always had like a section like thrillers and horror movies and stuff like that. And when I mm -hmm. like went through it, I remember seeing uh, Manhunter and you just gave me like, holy crap, I do remember. Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing Manhunter and I remember seeing that um, they had, you know, they, they, they said, you know, um, something about Will Graham with the help of Dr. Lecter, but having Lecter spelled L-E-K-T-O-R. And I remember like, that can't be right. That's not the same character. And then finally, when I like looked into it and like actually Googled it, and I was like, you know, there's a couple, it was like early years of Google. <laughs> and it's like, of course, you find on message boards about Manhunter. And I'm like, oh, cool. But I was also a scared little baby back then and didn't really like pursue it to try to watch it. <laughs> So, yeah, I guess that's my, my initial experience. But after that, I'd never seen the movie until I saw it for this podcast today. Well, not today, but like the past week. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's go ahead and get into this. First question that I think anybody would have coming into this is why is this movie called Manhunter? The novel is called Red Dragon. And the reason why this was is because... Um, the rights for this movie were purchased by Dino De Laurentiis and his production company. 
And I don't know if his studio released this movie or another studio, but apparently there was a movie that came out the year before this called Year of the Dragon that was kind of like a crime thriller. And it was a complete box office failure. And apparently that because the word dragon was in the title, Dino De Laurentiis basically said he didn't want this movie to be called Red Dragon because he didn't want people to associate it with another failed movie with dragon in the title. If that makes any sense to any of you. Kind of dumb, but I mean, sure. I, honestly, I actually do prefer the name Manhunter, though, just because this movie, the way it's filmed, and like the narrative they're telling focuses more on Will Graham than it does the Tooth Fairy Killer anyway. Mm-hmm. It like yeah. puts him more front and center. Yeah, the actual novel and even the Red Dragon adaptation that comes in 2002, it spends a lot more time, like it, it distributes the time more equally between Will Graham and Francis Dollarhide. Whereas this movie is completely around Will Graham. And, you know, this is a role, Will Graham, the FBI agent. This is a role that I think you and I, because we're familiar with this franchise, like we've seen it be played by multiple actors at this point. Uh, Hugh Dancy does it on the Hannibal series that only lasted three years uh, from like the mid 2010s. There was Mm -hmm. Ed Norton who did his version of it in 2002 and uh william peterson who you know i guess was famous for cop dramas uh ends up doing the role in here and of those three actors i think well i think the character of will graham will the actor makes it his own based on what the purpose of the work is so in hannibal he's more of like like he admits himself that he's like got asperger's or something Mm -hmm. like besides the fact that he's an empath he also has like other things going on that like kind of gives him a you know more of an atypical personality and this is a lot more of (laughs) basically Vietnam vet Will Graham (laughs) well yeah we're 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 gonna follow him throughout the entire movie and I think both of us talked about it when we did it when uh we were watching it separately but you know, the FBI is completely irresponsible for what they do in this movie. <laughs> and uh, let's just go ahead and I'll, I'll get into very quick what the plot details are. Uh, Will Graham's a retired FBI agent uh, who retired after, you know, nearly being killed by uh, Hannibal Lecter, who was a, a psychiatrist that he worked with that helped him catch another serial killer by the name of Garrett Hobbs. And, um, you know, I guess Lecter nearly kills him, but uh, Will does end up capturing him. And the injuries that he sustained both emotionally and physically are bad enough that he quits, you know, being an officer or just an FBI agent. And uh, he moves to Florida with his family and decides to live off the grid for the rest of his life. But mm-hmm. surprise, then comes the head of the FBI, Jack Crawford, played by Dar- Dennis Farina in this movie. Hell yeah. Brings him out of retirement so that he can help catch uh, a serial killer by the name of the Tooth Fairy. Uh, the Tooth Fairy kills entire families and mm-hmm. puts shards of mirrors in their eyes while, you know, after removing their eyeballs and does all sorts of gross stuff with the mothers in these families. Uh, one of the families that's murdered uh, lives in Atlanta, and the other family lives in Birmingham. 
So the movie is really just Will and the FBI scrambling to try to find who the next family is that's going to be targeted and stop this serial killer before, uh, I, I guess it's like a lunar cycle thing. Yeah, he kills on the night of the full moon. So by the time Crawford approaches Will Graham for it, uh, with his help, I think they have like three and a half weeks until the next full moon, giving them, well, pretty much three and a half weeks to find um, to find the the tooth fairy. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, so that's the the that's basically the premise of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it starts off in Florida, where uh, Crawford goes to see. Will and this is what we're talking about. Is Jack Crawford is an asshole. And he's an absolute <laughs> fucking monster. <laughs> so every in, every incarnation of Will of uh, Will Graham and Jack Crawford always has like a really interesting dynamic. If you watch the show, uh, Lawrence Fishburne uh, plays Jack Crawford, and in Hannibal, he's actually very protective of Will, especially in that first season. And his goal is to just bring him back as a consultant and just kind of have him review files almost never got in the field and he immediately is like no we need you on the field but you're only going if i go with you so he kind of helps him in this one literally dennis farina uh well jack crawford goes to will graham's house and is like hey i need your help and then abandons him for the next like two weeks he just like lets them fuck off and go, like gallivant all around the American South, just trying to like gather evidence at all these crime scenes. <laughs> it's pretty wild. Like it's a, it's actually criminally negligent, seeing as how this guy literally was attacked and almost murdered by the last big like serial killer that this division caught. Like if this, if Will ends up becoming a serial killer himself at the end of this movie. It would be completely the FBI's fault for like bringing him out of retirement for absolutely no reason. But it's wild. But anyway, so you know, like he's you know, Crawford comes in, tells him, "Hey, you know, if you can't do this, I'll understand." Even though he's clearly going up there with the express purpose of getting him to come back to the FBI, um, and Will decides that he is going to try to solve, you know at least get it get the investigation moving in the right direction so the first thing that he does which you know agree jack like mentions he's not going to get involved in any field work all he's going to do is go tour the try tour the crime scene in atlanta uh take a few pictures and give his impressions of what he thinks occurred there and uh will i guess being an empath like is able to kind of us not assume the identity of the killer but kind of as he's going, he's feeling his way through what the mindset of the killer would be. Mm-hmm. And what I think is really neat about this is this is something that's super into pop culture now. Like we're super into these true crime documentaries and detectives uh, like, you know, like series and stuff like that and and true crime podcasting and everything. And this movie comes out at a time where this isn't really that popular yet. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and and you didn't really get to watch investigations in the same way that you're watching it here. Like, you know, it's weird, like, to look at, like, a world of older technology where people are using call caddies and mm-hmm. uh, uh, VHS tapes, you know, like, 
or, or were like, you know, it looks like Super 8 film has been transferred onto what did they call it? Like half inch VHS. Like, it's yeah, so that's what they fucking call it. weird. Like, this is like before P- everyone even had VCRs in their house. Like, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it's just like, like it, it, Will's talking into a tape recorder and like people are still going to libraries to do all their research and stuff like that it is it is it is a world of older technology but i think the fact that it is kind of bringing you into the investigation and showing you all of these details that stuff is interesting to me and um well it's like it's essentially uh what's it called it's essentially like a procedural like a procedural cop show extended out right like that's the thing about this movie to keep in mind like you that kind of has to be your jam it's like you have to enjoy and sometimes i get completely get if people get bored me personally i like seeing the investigation part and i like seeing like the whole connecting the dots like because i mean that's how a lot of these films are that's how that's how the show is is like, you know, you got Will Grammer, you have the investigators reviewing clues, reviewing notes, putting things together until finally they get to the, they, they finally got their man, right? And that's kind of like how very much how this, this movie plays out. So right off the bat, like some people might get turned off by that fact, but me personally, I thought it was great. I'm already a fan of that type of stuff. And I'm a fan when it's done in a way that's not CSI. Like it's done in a way where it's very... Where it does feel authentic, and also it's well, one really cool thing is some people might get sick of Will Graham playing like the tortured investigator role, because I mean, Will Graham is an archetype, and he goes on to become an archetype. But what people got to keep in mind is this is like the first time you're seeing this care this type of character, this archetype, in probably in our in our uh, collective consciousness of the 80s you know like this is the this is the birth of that uh investigator tortured investigator archetype you know, funny um, enough the studio like was so into like miami vice and the stuff that michael mann was doing at the time that they actually wanted will graham to be played by uh don johnson who was the star of miami vice and that apparently, weird. and apparently, it was Michael Mann's like idea. Where he was like, "No, no, no." He's like, "I want to do it with William Peterson," <laughs> mm-hmm. and he's in the movie like Thief as well. Which I think there's debate among there's debate among people who like Michael Mann's films, where like some people will say Heat is his best movie, and some people will say Thief is also his best movie. Uh, so you know, it, it's it's. In either way, you know, he wanted to reteam with a guy from like maybe his greatest film ever. Uh, to and come Angels in the Corner this. being like, Manhunter is his best movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like all the Heat and Thief fans are just like, shut up, nerd, and just bounce. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, he goes through the, you know, like crime scene, and I guess he discovers that there's like a, like he finds the places where. I guess Tooth Fairy has left his DNA on the female victims. And uh, then you prints and hair, I believe. Right. And then you get to like, you know, the Atlanta police department where they're going through like, you know, and like a pair of dentures that was made like, you know, to, to as like a mock of what the Tooth Fairy's bite is like and all that Mm -hmm. other stuff. And it's just, it's wild. It's really wild stuff. And it's super interesting. 
I think the criti- a criticism you could lobby against this movie is that it's kind of cold, you know, where it's like if you watch something like Silence of the Lambs, and I think ultimately why that movie ends up being better is because Jodie Foster is just a more like there's something that's more you want to like know more about her and because she gets so personal with Hannibal Lecter in that movie mm-hmm. like you feel like you have a much more personal connection to her whereas with Graham you're like going along with him in this movie because you know Graham is trying to do good things for other people but there's nothing particularly like you know deep or at least nothing that feels deep about like what his motives are or you don't really find out like too much about him personally in this and and the other one is just because the difference between the novel of silence of the lambs and red dragon is that hannibal lecter is in only eight pages of red dragon uh, or Mm -hmm. 11 pages of eight of red dragon uh, he's barely in it, and I think it's the popularity of Silence which makes it feel like, I guess, which makes you think that more of these movies should be like this. Um, there's a lot of show. there's a lot of actors in this movie that are in other stuff, you know, yeah. like <laughs> like. We and know. I was surprised I saw Stephen Lang's in this. Yes, Stephen um, Lang, who most of you won't even recognize, but the photo- the photographer for the National Tattler the newspaper guy uh he is now most famous for if you're watching those don't breathe movies Mm -hmm. or you know he's also like the general character from avatar like he's now Mm -hmm. like this big like scary buff old white man whereas like in this movie he was like a scrawny tall scumbag (laughs) like steven lang looks like what Clint Eastwood thinks he still looks like <laughs> 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 like Brian Cox in this movie he plays uh, Dr. Lecter Brian Cox, Angel Take It Away, what other things has he been in because I'm kind of blanking but once you see him you'll know. <laughs> oh yeah, if you Brian Cox, if you're a comic book fan you would see him as uh, William Stryker in X-Men 2 uh, he's, what's it called he's also in like there's other stuff that he's in. He's in Zodiac. You know, he plays Melvin he Belli in, in that Zodiac. movie. Um, he's in tons of stuff. Like, if, if, when you see Brian Cox, you will know who he is. He has he has such a recognizable face. There's And that's a lot of this cast, is you see them and you'll remember them from stuff. Like, you know you've seen them. Like, mm-hmm. Tom Noonan plays Dollar Hyde. Yes. And you know you've seen Tom Noonan in other things. You just yeah, Tom Noonan is now, like, a horror, like... Uh, he's like a horror like beloved like bit actor at this point you know Mm -hmm. like and you you like later he ends up going into house of the devil which is directed by ty west and he also has like a cameo appearance in heat as well Mm -hmm. so um yeah it's definitely all these like recognizable faces that are in there Another thing that's interesting about this movie is, okay, so I guess I'll go through the story about it as best I can. When Will feels like he's going to get closer to catching this guy, you know, and he does get accosted by Freddie Lowndes, like, it's almost like he, like, in the novel, he talks about having to get his old scent back. And that's what makes him actually end up going to the prison 
where Hannibal Lecter is locked up in. Mm-hmm. And uh, the scene where he talks about going to see Hannibal Lecter, that is the scene where we will see Brian Cox. And Brian Cox in this movie, look up the serial killer Peter Manuel. Mm-hmm. He's a Scottish serial killer. Uh, that is who Brian Cox apparently based his performance on. And even if you see the way the guy looks, like he looks very similar to what Brian Cox was going for in this. Oh, and, I see it. Yeah. And it's funny, like you see the Oscar winning performance from Anthony Hopkins, which is fantastic for that movie. Uh, his lector is like, it, it's like mythical almost instantly. Like it, it's like, I would probably liken Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs to Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight, right? Like mm-hmm. one of those guys that he isn't in the movie for the entire period of time. He's in it like, you know, enough. And every moment that he's in the movie, it's like a different vibe than every other scene. Like he, he elevates the movie every time he's on screen. And that's the kind of performance that Heath Ledger gives in, the, in, in Dark Knight. What Brian Cox does in this is it feels more like matter of fact. There's something brutal about it. He's like, he's like, there's nothing about where he like enjoys the cat and mouse game of like trying to dissect what the killer wants to do. Like, you know, like Anthony Hopkins, if you watch the Red Dragon version of this, like he calls him a pilgrim. He talks about, oh, you honor me. Like, you know, it's interesting the things he does, like where he's like, oh, he goes, our boy. Like there's just there's more of a playfulness to it, whereas like Lecter in this movie is more like he does not like Will. And you can feel it <laughs> from the moment that they're in together. Oh, did you get my card? Oh, you know, th- did you, you know, all of this stuff? He goes, oh, OK, well, well, he goes, you know, th- no, no, no. You've thought of this before. Like it, it, it's mm-hmm. something that's combative about it from the moment that he's there. He has nothing but the uttermost disdain for Will Graham <laughs> as an investigator, as a like person. And I love the conversation because, like you said, it is not the it's not like the Clarice and Hannibal conversation in Silence of the Lambs, where he almost becomes like a mentor to her and tries to teach her how to think outside of her humanity and to think like a serial killer mm-hmm. and i love the fact that hannibal lecter plays on this fact and is like do you know why you caught me will and will responds with yeah because you made a mistake and i finally got you mm-hmm. and he goes no you got me because you and i are the exact same person and he just starts picking at him mm-hmm. and he and he like zones in on this fact that he knows will on a bad day and because he puts himself in the serial killer mindset can possibly hurt someone. So he like picks at that and he gets under his skin about it. And this isn't the Will and Hannibal relationship from the series either, where no. they where they start off as friends. These guys just literally they like it's nothing, one of those things well, where they might have been other. friends at some point, but it's like now it's like, all right, well, we're pretty clearly enemies. And I was your doctor, so I know all of your innermost secrets. And I'm much more interested in in getting someone to go over there and kill you and having my revenge that way instead of actually trying to get out and put into motion some sort of grand master plan, you know. 
Yeah, they played in a they I think that's a good way of putting it because I know there's a lot of jokes in Hannibal or a lot of the fan base talks about kind of like the love where it feels like Will and Hannibal almost like are lovers in mm-hmm. the Hannibal series. And I guess if you do have to put it some way, it does feel like this is the falling out of that relationship and this is like now the result of it, right? Where now they have nothing but contempt for each other to the point where Hannibal, like you've mentioned right now, to the point where Hannibal doesn't even want to be the one that personally kills Will Graham and his family. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty intense. I love Brian Cox's, um, I love his uh, portrayal of Hannibal Lecter just because it's different. Like there's like this air of gravitas around the character of Hannibal Lecter when Anthony Hopkins played him. But the way Brian Cox plays him is very, like you said, very matter of fact. There's like a certain brutality hidden under that, like, put together, like, facade he has, you know? But he's always thinking about. You know, like, that's that's the distinction, I guess, that I'd like to make is I don't want everyone to kind of think that just because I'm saying it's not as, like, suave and and kind of like scene chewing as Anthony Hopkins is that it's something to where he looks like more of a brute or more dangerous. He feels dangerous just as Mm -hmm. much as those other Hannibals, but it's just like his motive seems to be a lot more clear cut revenge than like, you know, being interested in, you know, hello Clarice and kind of the playful back and forth that he'll have with Jodie Foster the next time. It's a lot more like, contempt that he feels for will and at the same time like he he was his doctor and one of the things that hannibal did when he was a psychiatrist is he kind of creates monsters like you know Mm -hmm. because if you read signs of the lambs like you know you you find out the flautist benjamin raspail who was his uh you know patient and was someone who was intimate with jane gum who becomes buffalo bill like he seems to be someone who like kind of like likes creating monsters and you know sending people out to do bad and i think that is one of the things that that hannibal series captures mm-hmm. pretty well as well so i was gonna uh, say like and also credit to mads mickelson he's also a fantastic and there has yet to be a bad hannibal lecture <laughs> uh, the only one is that hannibal rising guy the kid who played him the the french kid who played him in that movie if you ever oh, watch hannibal mean, rising, the best movie in the french it is fucking awful (laughs) now we have to review it i I, you know what the funny thing is i own it i own it because i bought it like i bought it used at blockbuster when those things existed still so (laughs) was it like you with the uh like because that was probably around the same time that you were going through your rob zombies the best halloween like phase did you like turn (laughs) off hannibal rising and you were like was that the was that a great Hannibal Lecter movie? Uh, no, I didn't, think it was, Hannibal Lecter movie? I didn't think it was great. It's just, I don't know. For some reason, when DVDs were still a thing, they there was well, a certain point where they got so cheap that yeah. like you would even buy DVDs for stuff that you didn't like that much anyway. They were like five <laughs> bucks, and you're like, why the fuck not? Yeah, like I feel like you don't do that anymore, especially now in the era of streaming. Like you will never rent or buy a movie you don't like. Whereas, I like, do that on amazon prime if i'm like going through amazon prime and i remember a shitty movie and i see that's only like four bucks i'm like i'll I'll buy it i don't care okay i doubt many people do that is i guess my (laughs) my thing well not many people have a movie podcast do they (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, but anyway, yeah. after Will like meets with Hannibal, which is like apparently like Hannibal's jail cell is like this art museum in it in like Atlanta, <laughs> like mm-hmm. it, the building. It's just it's weird. It's like because in Silence, which is where I saw Hannibal Lecter for the first time, like it's a very dungeon looking like you know jail cell that he's in. Whereas like in this, everything does look like you know, an art museum, or it feels more like a traditional jail cell more than anything. There's a lot of white. Yes. Like, just a lot of white, which was completely it's all white and well lit, completely different than the weird dungeon. It looks miserable. Like, it's just like imagine having to sit in that white room for your entire life. My eyes hurt. (laughs) No! Um, and you know, again, Hannibal isn't that is isn't that big of a character in this. Like he makes an impression, but obviously this is the Will movie. Uh, from here, Will goes to Birmingham. You get the awesome scene of him walking through the Jacoby family house mm-hmm. with like the music playing in the background. The soundtrack to this movie is fucking awesome. Like mm-hmm. it really is. I own the soundtrack to this movie, and I bought it ten years ago because I loved this movie so much. You look the type to own the. <laughs> you know, I did at one point. I, I don't buy movie soundtracks anymore, but I definitely liked the soundtrack to this. I don't know what it is. It's weird. It's like this weird, like, like synthy part of some of it is like power ballad sounding and some of it is also just like this weird dark electro like mood music (laughs) yeah it's no it's like 80 synth and then it's like weird power ballads like that's the best way to describe it you hit the nail on the head um so will goes to the jacoby uh, backyard he's able to you know figure out that the red dragon you know High hid in a tree. Sorry, red dragon, tooth fairy. Doesn't matter. They're both the same killer. Yeah, they, they're called two different things, but what's it they're called? Both I guess family annihilators. They're both pieces of shit. <laughs> yeah. the, the tooth fairy name is weird to me. I don't understand why they would call him the tooth fairy. Is it just and because he leaves bite marks on like female victims? I don't know. I think that's the connection they were trying to make. I haven't seen a red dragon in years, so I don't remember. Even though it's the best Hannibal Lecter movie now, I'm just, I gotta <laughs> drop that. I'm gonna stop saying that. But like, no, send but, your hate mail to Javier, please. Yeah, please do. I live at one, two, three, <laughs> fake street. <laughs> what was it? Um, like I forget why Ralph Fiennes got the name Red Dragon and Red Dragon. Well, it was comes there... from it comes from a painting. Like it it comes from like a a a piece called the Red Dragon. But it's like I feel like that movie is a lot was a lot more centered around the Red Dragon himself, whereas the the Red Dragon slash Tooth Fairy in this movie is I guess like Michael Mann actually like made him more of like a combination of several different serial killers, which is why like when you actually see Dollar Hyde's home, like he has like this weird like space landing like posters and stuff everywhere, mm-hmm. and why his house actually looks kind of neat. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look as like frightening and like decrepit like new england like horror mansion as it does in the red dragon movie it's a lot more like somewhere that you'd actually like to see (laughs) it's not even like you're expecting it to be ed gein and it's just like rocking 80s bachelor pad Mm -hmm. and i'm like what (laughs) but i do love the scene of uh graham going through the house in birmingham because like he has these monologues 
where as he's putting himself in that mindset of the tooth fairy and like how the tooth fairy observes the families mm-hmm. and but he'll you'll hear him randomly be like so you stepped out here and you watched him through your binoculars didn't you you son of a bitch and he like starts getting angry at himself <laughs> but you know what like that's one of those things where it's interesting to see one guy do it by himself mm-hmm. because there's there's scenes in heat where you watch like you know al pacino who is the lieutenant like look at the crime scenes after robert de niro and his gang have like you know either robbed like a bear bonds truck or a bank or whatever and you see like the police officers like all circling where all of this stuff and they're like well this is what happens here and this is what their response time was and they knew that boom 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 they knew what this was and that was and it's like it's it's cool michael mann does that stuff really well Mm -hmm. and it's just it's interesting to see like basically yeah like it doesn't make any sense that will would be saying this shit out loud to himself but for the sake of this movie, like I do, it, it, it interests me to see him like get this angry. I think the part where he just goes, my man, my man, my boy, mm-hmm. like it's just like, oh, like, all right. You you're like, now you're going too far. You're going to have to take crazy, it down a little bit. <laughs> into the whole crazy will angle. You got to pull him back. But, you know, I felt seen because sometimes I'm a crazy person <laughs> who talks to himself. Oh, okay. Like I do that where sometimes I'll be like, I'm like, I'm not going to lie. Like when I'm reviewing like case files or something uh, for work or something, like I got to go and I got to try to like, don't give me that look. Like like I'm the psychopath. (laughs) It doesn't help. I know this is an audio, this is like an audio video, but my hair is like all over the place. <laughs> and I just look like I haven't slept for three days. Are you talking about how much you like to talk to yourself? All right, cool, bro. And I'll be like, I know where this person is. I know where they are. Uh, honey, call the police. Get a joke from last podcast on the left. Get the nets. <laughs> he is lost. <laughs> um, we get a we get the other character. It's funny. One of the characters who's in this, who's in all the other Hannibal movies that like makes no impression in this is they, they even have like Dr. Chilton in this, who like is not at all like the like obsessed, like also fucking crazy, like jail, like guy who's in charge, who basically likes torturing Hannibal. Like all mm-hmm. he really is in this movie for is to find the letter that Hannibal tries to write to the Tooth Fairy. So And I'm glad he's gone almost immediately. Right. <laughs> so there, there's so so after Will has gone to see Hannibal, there's a second scene where I guess they bring a phone to him so that he can speak to his lawyer and instead of speaking to his lawyer, he actually just like some he takes the cover off his phone because it's got no numbers like or it has no dial pad on it. So he just like uses a gum wrapper to like somehow dial an operator (laughs) and the operator like calls a number for him that he's looking for. Well, the way I I took that was he shorted out the phone using the aluminum. Oh, okay. And had it reset. So it automatically went to your normal operator instead of the prison operator who would have connected him with his lawyer. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah, and 
and that's when like you said he he lies in, to the operator says i can't use my hand can you connect me to this number he calls and i forgot whose number it was uh, I think it was uh, Dr. Bloom. So there's a character who's in this movie who who seems to be the only one who cares about Will at all at his job because you get Crawford who is abs- who gives absolutely no shits about the mental state of his former employee, but then you have Dr. Bloom who I guess like sent Will to therapy or you know send Will to some kind of rehab like you know like to to get well after what happened with him with Hannibal and that's the guy that like you know when when Will comes in for the first time he goes oh Dr. Bloom sent me your your uh you know your journal entry here like you know your published your latest published work and all that other stuff so that's who Hannibal is calling he's calling his office I guess he gets a hold of his secretary and uh, the secretary like ends up giving Hannibal Will Graham's home address so so <laughs> redonkulous to think that she willingly gave up so much information about Will Graham. You know, but it's it's one of those things where again, it's like, you know, we are now in an era where people are a lot more protective with their information. Yeah. Like I feel like these kinds of like social engineering scams I mean, they're definitely easy now. You would be yep. shocked to see. I, I work in IT. You would be absolutely flabbergasted to see how much people willingly give up, like, vi- like very key information that they should not. Your stripper <laughs> in real name life. is the last thing you ate, and your mom's made a name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, again, once Hannibal has this address, like all he wants to do is tell the truth, Tooth Fairy, to go kill Will Graham's family. And uh, the way he ends up doing it is by uh, sending him a personal ad in the National Tattler, which is the newspaper that um, that Freddie Lowndes works for. And the relationship between Freddie Lowndes and Will is negative because Freddie came in to whatever hospital Will was at after he caught Hannibal, lifted his blankets and took naked ass pictures of him and Mm -hmm. published them which is sounds mad fucking illegal, but okay. Mostly because it's super is illegal. And, <laughs> but that was before the time of like, you know, HIPAA being a big thing. So Oh, you know, yeah, my HIPAA before like, you know. <laughs> I love my hippos. That's what keeps <laughs> you from getting my vaccinations. <laughs> HIPAA, the thing that like no one understands these days now. <laughs> but everyone loves quoting. <laughs> so the the other thing about Freddie Lowndes I wanted to point out was that when he sees uh, Will and uh, Jack Crawford coming out of the FBI office, he takes a picture of him and immediately sensationalizes that he's like the FBI's new manhunter. <laughs> and, that, and that, you know, he, you know, like he starts lambasting the FBI for bringing back such a troubled investigator to try to find the tooth fairy. And when he tries to accost um, Will Graham, Will like straight up judo flips him out of the, the car. <laughs> so that's like the last time we see these two interact with each other. But because no, they interact with each other again. Well, no, what I was going to, uh, if you let me finish. Oh, okay. Yeah, fine. All right. Whatever. What I was going to say, that was the last time that they interacted with each other until the next couple scenes where now they got to work with that guy. And the entire time, I'm just like, this is going to be fun and awkward. Because <laughs> suddenly, like, now they're, they got to bring in, um, 
Freddie Lounge into their plans as they try to one figure out what the code is or what the codes are uh, for those personal ads. Uh, unable to figure that out, the next plan is pretty much for Will Graham to give uh, Lounge like and like oh what's it called exclusive interview where it's just him talking to him about the tooth fairy and he gives him bogus information starts talking about how something about like the that the tooth fairy wasn't loved and that he's secretly a homosexual and just like calling him all kinds of things and the entire time they're like taking pictures like will and freddie are just like talking mad shit to each other (laughs) i feel like the novel the red dragon novel makes will like i feel like in the book will knows what he's doing by setting up this interview and he like almost knows that freddie is gonna get captured by the tooth fairy and kind of does it on purpose this movie doesn't posit that because obviously it's not gonna want to make its character like it doesn't want to make the protagonist like someone who we inherently root against or someone who we someone think who might is be like evil. Yeah, someone <laughs> who who we think is evil, but in the novel like it really does feel like Will Graham actually sets Freddie Lounds up <laughs> in this scene. So, uh yeah, he basically makes makes him lie about the tooth fairy to lure the tooth fairy out and make him capture Freddie so that they can actually like maybe if Freddie disappears they'll be able to find him. You know, and all that kind of stuff. But what happens is Freddy is found. He is captured. He is uh, made to read, you know, something back to the to Will Graham and all of a sudden is like set on fire in a wheelchair and left in a Chicago parking lot. <laughs> well, no, he was le- he was sent to the National Tatler. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was wheeled down the parking garage of the National Tatler. <laughs> I was like, wow, that is showy and over the top. Oh, my God. And so eventually the the FBI manages to decode uh, Hannibal Lecter's messages. And he find out that he'd sent the, the two fairy Will Graham's address with instructions to kill Will and his family. Uh, Graham and Crawford, like, rushed to the home. And they're able to get his family into like protective custody. And then we get that scene where um, where Will takes his son Kevin and they go shopping. And this is where he's like upfront to his son about everything uh, involving Lecter and the reason why he originally left the FBI. And so he tells the story. You might know the story better than I, but he tells the story to Kevin about how him and Lecter, or he was Lecter's patient, and I forget how he mentioned he started connecting the dots between um, between the killings and Hannibal Lecter, but it had something to do with one of the college students that Lecter was uh, also working with. Yeah, so w- what you find out, like, reading these novels is that Hannibal Lecter was essentially a co-ed killer. So he was, like, a very well-educated guy who I guess like would would seduce or just straight up capture, kill, and eat college girls. <laughs> and um, his, his serial killer name was the Chesapeake Ripper. And he is the guy who Will Graham is looking for after he catches uh, Garrett Jacob Hobbs. 
So Hannibal helps him find Hobbes and they capture him. And once he is captured, that's when Will uh, finds out one evening that Hannibal is the Chesapeake Ripper. Um, and that's when Hannibal like ends up like attempting to murder him. And mm. that is the moment that he's caught. And which is why, like, when you watch something like Silence of the Lambs, it, it one of the things that would you'd be curious about watching that movie is why does the FBI send a uh, FBI trainee to go see Hannibal mm-hmm. Lecter? And the reason why is because he liked co-eds, he liked college girls, and oh. an FBI trainee is the closest thing to a college girl that the FBI has. So it's that kind of sense. like basically send someone who would make him horny to see if he like will help them instead of the FBI. <laughs> That's crazy. I never put that together now. That's interesting. And um yeah, so and Will also tells Kevin something really interesting about his job and this kind of where he, exp- he explains his his uh the way empathy works, right? Or how he's an empath. And he explains that he ha- he has the ability to put himself in the mindset of uh, these serial killers and he can kind of go through their thought processes. And one of the reasons he left is because it, be- it was becoming harder and harder for him to pull back from that mindset and become who he is. That being said, I'm a pretty empathetic guy. Angel, you're empathetic. Like, that's not how empathy works. (laughs) Just because you can feel for somebody and just because you can relate to someone's emotions doesn't mean you are at a higher risk of being a serial killer. And I I really hope people understand that. No, and the thing is too, like with Will, there's they it feels like he has some sort of almost supernatural gift to be able to find stuff. You know, mm-hmm. like in the Red Dragon movie, like Hannibal's character even makes a like a, he even mentions something about it. And then uh, Ed Norton says to him, he goes, I'm not a psychic. And he goes, No, 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 he's like, it's not a sidekick. He's like, it's it's more of a psychic, it's more of like someone who has like the imagination. Or like just it, it's your ability, your ability to visualize things in a way that other people won't, right? And mm-hmm. um, which you know, same deal. It, it, it's Will's able to do it through his means. Uh, Clarice does it later in the mm-hmm. Buffalo Bill case because all the victims are women, and uh, her ability to see through the eyes of a woman mm-hmm. makes it easier to be able to capture uh, Buffalo Bill. So mm-hmm. it's just uh, he he's he's. In, in some ways, in many ways, he's a less interesting character than Clarice. But I do like the scene of him with his son. There is no scene like this in the Brett Ratner, like, t- 2002 movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just goes to show that, like, at least in this movie, much like the novel, there are certain scenes where, like, there's it's ambiguous as to whether or not this is kind of making Will more susceptible to thinking evil thoughts himself the fact that Mm -hmm. he's just falling completely back into these old patterns or if anything else i think dr bloom probably says it in a much better way where he like he kind of compares it to a relapse yeah i think that's a good way of putting it so after this scene we get introduced to um 
Francis Dollarhide, who is the Tooth Fairy Killer, and he works as a what appears to be like a like a photography tech and a film lab out in St. Louis. Yep. And he has this very sudden relationship that plays out over the course of like three days with his <laughs> blind coworker named Yeah. Viva. The, the part so of this, bizarre. yeah, the part of this movie that probably feels the least interesting, which is like bizarre and shocking, is actually the villain. And mm-hmm. in many times, like the villain is much more interesting. Uh, like, you know, in, in Science of the Lambs, like it really is the villain's who are equally as interesting as Clarice and you're mm-hmm. kind of jumping back and forth between all three of them. In this one, Hannibal is barely in it. He has like one or two, he has one scene where Will goes to see him in a second scene where he talks to him on the phone. Mm-hmm. And then in the, when it comes to the tooth fairy, it's like all of it is just Will like discovering things about him by going to see the crime scenes, by viewing these home videos. And by the time you actually get to the, tooth fairy it actually like you don't know anything about his upbringing like you find out in the novel um which is like that he was like abused by his grandmother uh and one of the reasons that will ends up being able to capture him in the end is because he like essentially uses the same threats that his grandmother used against him Mm -hmm. and kind of like mentally fucks with the killer in a way that hannibal would like mess with people Mm -hmm. so uh but in this movie it's it's not like that it's just like he just happens to be a serial killer but it's weird because like as much as like you know that physically you know uh tom noonan is fucking terrifying and he is the villain in like robocop 2 as well like Mm -hmm. he is someone who inherently is intimidating and probably could do all of these awful things but there's nothing that you find out about his character that like makes you understand why he does these things at all. Yeah, there's no background. And it, honestly, it's like it freaking um what's his name? It's like Will's goes completely on a hunch because it's like as he's reviewing the family, the like the family home movies of the murdered families, that's when he like kind of puts it together and is like, oh, it's something about he wants to be wanted mm-hmm. and he wants to be like he wants to belong, or he has like this desire of being accepted and he just runs with that and i'm just like that is such a generic motivation right and and part of it is that michael mann actually doesn't base this on the uh, tooth fairy serial killer from the novel The, the, Mm. the crimes are the same as the novel but i guess the personality and more of like what the killer is about he actually based it on a killer named uh dennis wayne wallace and the way mm-hmm. the reason why you know that is because in the end of this movie you'll hear in Agarra Vida. And I guess Dennis Wallace once claimed that in Agarra Vida was a love song that spiritually connected him to the woman he murdered, according to IMDB. <laughs> what was his name? Uh Dennis Wayne Wallace. That's such a serial killer thing to have three <laughs> names, I swear. Wayne Wallace. Is this a real guy yeah it's just it's really? the, it's, it's the killer that yeah, that michael mann was thinking of Ew. <laughs> i googled pictures of him and i got the picture of um of tom noonan with half the uh with the uh what's it called uh, with the, the stocking over his, his face 
I mean, stocking, but I like saying pantyhose because it's just like this like weird flesh colored like net that goes over his face. <laughs> so weird, I swear. Anyway, so yeah, like, <laughs> like Dollarhide has this entire relationship with this blind coworker, and they end up uh like they like she ends up staying the night, they end up having sex. <laughs> <laughs> and they end up like you know like it seems like she has like she's kind of getting like some sort of emotion for him mm-hmm. but the moment that she lets another co-worker walk her home he loses it and uh dollar hide ends up killing that co-worker like in her yard <laughs> <laughs> and then from there uh he ends up kidnapping reba and at this point is when Graham kind of realizes the connections uh, between the families and his motivation. And he remembers that he brought bolt cutters in one of the, um, that he brought one bolt cutters to one of the families because, or one of the, um, to one of the crime scenes, because I guess a padlock is very visible in one of the movies. And that's how Graham was able to put together that this guy is pretty much watching their home movies Mm -hmm. and using that information. He calls the film labs and tries to gather, um, you know, tries to get names and lists of people that match the description of what they have uh, for the tooth fairy killer. Uh, They end up getting something um, and they know that he lives in St. Louis. So Crawford and Graham and this entire time Crawford is just like, no, nah, just go ahead and let him kill. <laughs> it's like, it's the night of the full moon. He's like, yes. it's the full moon. Yes, it is the scene that, fuck, they are both sitting there having, like, I, Crawford literally looks like he doesn't want to work anymore. Like, he looks like he is bored of doing this nerd shit. And, and Will is, like, over there watching, like, these videos trying to figure out exactly what the connection is between these two families. And Will is fucking right, because there's a scene where, like, Jack goes, just admit that we fucked up this one up, and uh, we're going to wait till the next full moon, and all that other stuff, and, and we're going to call it a night and all this other, or it's getting too late and all that shit. And that's when Will basically just yells the fucking back at him and tells him. And he goes, look, he goes, you're the one that fucking came to my house and told me to come do this bullshit. And that's when Jack is like, yeah, well, I'll do it again. And he goes, all right, that's great. And he goes, but I'm the one that tells you when we're, when it's too fucking late and like all this other shit. And I'm just like, you're fucking right, Will. You better come yeah. to this house. Because this guy had absolutely no reason to come bring someone who's likely still suffering the effects of PTSD from catching like several serial killers and saying, hey, guess what? Come back to this thing that you didn't like to do before. This guy could have gotten back to drinking alcohol or doing drugs or doing all sorts of things that are going to be self He could have killed somebody. (laughs) He could kill himself. He could kill his family or other innocent people. And it's just like, like fuck, it's like the amount of danger that you're putting people in. It's like you absolutely don't give a fuck and you absolutely don't give a fuck about your job. And I don't know if Michael Mann like meant for that to be what we think of, but especially now we're like we're a lot more apt to call out the fact that police officers, a lot of them will use force in situations that are not required and will like use all sorts of mental distress excuses for why they do aggressive things that they shouldn't and it's just like all right but god uh, forbid when they when (laughs) someone has to do honest to goodness police work 
and actually try to put an investigation together. Suddenly, Jack Crawford's like, oh, we fucked this one up. Let's <laughs> you know, just wait next you know what it reminds me of? This scene super fucking reminds me of, like, there's there's this Simpsons episode where uh, it, it's it's like a spoof of a of a Twilight Zone episode, Little Girl Lost, where you have a girl that like ends up falling into another dimension through one of like the like walls in the house and stuff like that. Is this gonna be like, a Chief Wiggum reference? Yes, in like the Simpsons episode, Homer's the one that gets lost, and then you get like Professor Frank who's like trying to like he's trying to explain what's happening and then you hear Chief Wiggum just go enough of your Borax point Dexter we need action and he starts shooting the wall <laughs> Jack Crawford looked like he wanted to pull a gun out and start shooting the television where Will was watching these whole movies <laughs> Jesus Christ um, I was listening to I told you I was listening to another reference to the last podcast on the left but I think Henry Zabrowski like described this one like fbi show very well and he does kind of describe how the fbi handled this entire investigation where it's fuck up fuck up fuck up find the guy based on like dumb luck (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of how they handled the tooth fairy in this movie yeah And, and will i guess like eventually he like by watching these videos and having an internal mon well a, it's what's supposed to be an internal monologue, but he's actually talking out loud. Where he basically don't you says, judge Will Graham? He's my hero. <laughs> where he basically discovers, he goes, "Look, he goes, you knew who the Jacoby cat was, even though the cat didn't have any kind of a collar. You knew what the Lee's dog was, even though they didn't have any of a collar. You knew that you were going to need some sort of bolt cutter to get through a padlock or something like that." in the house and the reason but it ended up not being like that by the time he actually committed the murder and the reason Mm -hmm. why is because he was watching the home movies like somehow he got a hold of those home movies he was watching them and that's how he discovered everything he needed to do to attack this family Mm -hmm. um it's the dangers of filming yourself in your home ladies and gentlemen please remember you know, not to let internet strangers know where you live if you can avoid it. Mm-hmm. Don't take <laughs> or where your kids, kids go to school and, yeah, or exactly, where you work yeah. or all sorts of stuff. Like, be very careful with that kind of stuff. You and- know, just don't be on the internet. Just get off the grid. <laughs> go buy a mountain in Oregon. <laughs> start, start fake fights on Twitter and just, just talk bullshit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, make yourself a fucking anime profile Twitter. <laughs> and just like stay as anonymous as possible is my my advice to y'all, okay? <laughs> but anyway, uh this is when they find out that Dollar Hyde is like, you know, the guy who's processing those videos and even in the scene where he's with his girlfriend Reva who is blind and she's blind in the book, she's blind in the other movie as well. And part of it is because in the novel and in the Red Dragon movie that comes out later, Francis Dollarhide has real, like, you know, like, issues about the way that he looks. He has, like, a cleft palate, like, and he he has, like, you know, he's got a lot of hang-ups about, like, his physical appearance and how he feels deformed and he feels like a monster. And part of it is, like, the stuff that his grandmother used to say to him when he was growing up. And, again, it's, like, stuff from the book. But because this movie isn't interested in any of that, yeah. you don't really understand any of that stuff. We just, but We just think he has a thing for people that are blind. Yeah. But, and part of it is, like, too, even Will talks about it. Everything with you is seeing. So it's, it's, it's just, there's this irony or there's, like, you know, it's just bizarre that, like, the woman that he's 
involved with can't see anything and you know mm-hmm. whatever um but even the scene where he and reba are like right before they're about to have sex like they're sitting in the living room and dollar Hyde is watching these like silent home movies like looking for the family that he's about to attack next so creepy i swear it's fucking frightening it is super frightening for sure um, so as um graham and graham crawford and a couple police officers um once they get to st louis graham crawford and a couple police officers immediately go to dollar Hyde's house where he lives kind of like kind of like a compound it's like a weird it's like out in the forest so uh graham and crawford try to cut through the forest and uh they get a visual of uh dollar Hyde standing over reba Mm-hmm. about to stab her with a piece of glass mind you she at this point she doesn't know she's been kidnapped by dollar Hyde, has no idea that he's the the two fairy killer so she's mm-hmm. just like scared out of her mind well i think and, she knows it's dollar Hyde, but she has no idea why he's kidnapped her or why he's about to attack her and uh crawford tells will to wait for backup uh will starts running through the forest in the middle of the night like a freaking madman and it's like as the music ramps up, and as like in, in the God of Davida, or however you pronounce the in song. the God of Davida, yeah. And that. okay, so this scene is you didn't like. We it. had thoughts. We, yeah, we, had we both thoughts. had differing thoughts on this because okay, the entire movie is Will not trying to fall into the old patterns of looking for monsters on behalf of the FBI anymore. Mm-hmm. But by the end of this movie, Will is so invested in this and they are very much at the end of like, basically this, this, whatever this revenge boner uh, dollar Hyde has for Reba is, is actually saving another family from getting murdered right now because he basically is going to break the pattern by killing her in his home. Yeah. And I guess like dollar Hyde maybe understands that the walls are starting to close in on him a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so Will at this point is kind of like, all right, well, now I need to do whatever's possible to save this next family from being attacked. And if that means that I'm going to completely <laughs> ruin any progress that I've made to get over like all the PTSD that I have about previous crimes that I've been involved, like, you know, in solving. Now I'm about to go full balls back into this action movie style. And I'm going <laughs> to go like slow motion running towards this guy's window, burst in and shoot him. Which makes absolutely who the fuck would do this? Why the fuck would any police officer do something this overtly stupid? But it looks fucking awesome on film. Oh. And the fact that it scored to this fucking song and this song rocks, I love it. And I will fight anyone who doesn't think it's amazing. The song hits the crescendo, and Will Graham like jumps through the window and gets the drop on uh, Dollar Hyde. But Dollar Hyde ends up overpowering Will. And like lifts military Briss's <laughs> will over his head and slams him against the fucking fridge, almost <laughs> killing him. And the entire time in my head, I'm shouting at well, not in my I, I thought it was in my head, but apparently I was shouting it because I talked to myself. <laughs> He's just like, I'm just like, why didn't you shoot him on the way to the glass, you idiot? <laughs> well, if you shoot the glass first, you, there's no guarantee you're gonna hit him. Yeah, and that's why you keep shooting. <laughs> it was it was ridiculous, but he ends up getting bodied, and then so Dollar Hyde goes and he reaches into his cupboard. He, apparently, his very convenient shotgun cupboard. 
And he pulls out a shotgun that's fully loaded. And as he starts going to the front of the house, he notices the police officers trying to get the drop on him through the front. He ends up killing two officers, blasting um, both of them with the shotgun. They get some really cool makeup work on one when his head, like the top of his head looks like it gets blown off. It's really gnarly. Mm. And it's actually kind of jarring because everything else in this film has been pretty subdued up until this point. Mm -hmm. And it's like he also ended up cutting Will uh, with a shard of glass, leaving some facial scars on him. And when he comes back around, he tries to go into the back into the kitchen where uh, at the where uh, Graham ends up gra- or Will ends up grabbing his revolver and just unloading the entire cylinder into Dollarhide, killing him on the spot. Uh, at this point, police officers show up. Crawford comes in too. They're able to remove Reba from the uh, from the crime scene. Will walks her out to the paramedics the entire time she's frightened confused doesn't know what's going on will introduces himself as uh will graham um you know i don't even think he says he's a cop like (laughs) (laughs) the entire time when he was like hi i'm I'm will graham uh if i was reba i'd be like cool what the fuck does that mean to me (laughs) but you're left to you're left to assume that um he explains who you know everything she went through they take her to the hospital and Will's able to return home and you know I think the movie ends on a freeze frame ending of Will and his family at the beach with I forgot what song plays over but it's a really good ending song but pretty much he goes back home from his to his family being able to leave behind all the darkness he had to absorb except if you actually are one of the few people on earth who can get your hands on the director's cut of this movie the director's cut after the scene where Will kills Dollarhide, there is a scene that is inserted in the middle <clears throat> between that and the end credits that is Will like looking completely like a fucking hammer Frankenstein monster, like with all the bruises and cuts all over his face. He actually goes to visit the family that Dollarhide was going to kill next opens the door and when they ask him if he wants to come in like first at first they don't know who he is and he just looks Mm -hmm. like some frightening guy who's just been cut up all over the place and you know it's like the the husband comes like you know basically grabs his shotgun from his yeah basically ready to shoot him and uh that's where all of a sudden it gets very quiet and then will just looks at him and says i just needed to see you and then walks away (laughs) into the rainy night and it's one of those things where maybe it's like meant to make you question, like, you know, has Will gone off the deep end or not? But, you know, at the end, then we're still on the beach and listening to Heartbeat as like the credits are rolling. So, yeah, it's more <clears throat> I think it's more of like just Will, like for his own closure and for him to be able to finally turn the page on on his FBI career. Like he just wanted to see the people that he was able to save instead of thinking of all the people that he let die. It's like the kind of it reminds me of the scene in yeah that reminds me of the scene in Zodiac when uh what's his name? Um oh my god, why am I blanking on the bad guy from Far From Home? Oh um uh Jake Gyllenhaal, there we go. Yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal. When when Jake Gyllenhaal's character goes and he confronts John Carroll Lynch's character in the hardware store, Mm -hmm. and John Carroll Lynch just looks at him like, Can I help you? And he's like, No. 
but he yeah. like looks at him completely pissed and he's like i know you're the fucking zodiac killer i got you yeah <laughs> like it, it was kind of one of those moments where it felt like um will was just going to make sure like you know i needed to see you see you as humans see you as not victims see you as like that tooth fairy didn't have an additional plan that he hadn't kept in mind you know mm-hmm. um i'm cool with it being taken out i wasn't like you know i guess it just yeah like you said it does just it does deposit the theory that maybe will has gone off the deep end but i felt like if they had more stuff going on depositing that will was going off the deep end it would have been a fitting way to end the film yeah i think watching it through modern eyes it's like you don't look at his his will becoming a killer you look at it as clearly this is a guy with ptsd this is a guy who's going through emotional problems that's being forced to relive trauma by being involved in this other investigation (laughs) (laughs) and being sent out in the ocean without any life preservers baby (laughs) by the negligent evil fbi Uh, let's just let her die we'll figure it out (laughs) next month (laughs) all right uh so that's that's it for manhunter uh javi do you like this movie yeah, actually, uh, I'm, I'm, I was really surprised that I enjoyed this movie. I thought, I, you know, I thought I was going to hate it or I thought it was going to be cheesy and campy. I'm like an 80s Hannibal Lecter movie. Oh, this sounds like it's going to suck. But, you know, in the hands of Michael Mann, you know, he does. He has such a good way of writing like the dynamic between criminals and police officers or uh, criminals and investigators that it's very compelling and it keeps you um it does keep you kind of like entertained by it um you know this movie's very slow paced but that's done deliberately and i feel like if you are a fan of those slow burn investigation movies or slow burn investigation shows or just procedural shows in general like yeah you're gonna have a better time enjoying this this specifically this movie than other like Hannibal lecter movies is it super scary not really like we mentioned it does have some horror elements especially being about a serial killer but you know you're not getting much in the way of jump scares you're not getting much in the way of like uh about freaky imagery you do feel uncomfortable i think this movie does do a good job making making you feel uncomfortable as as a viewer uh but ultimately it's um yeah it's i mean it's a good movie it's a good installment in the series and i think that manhunter would be remembered way more if it wasn't just you know, like I think it's a good movie, and I I liked it. I just feel it has the unfortunate like luck of coming followed before by a yeah, much better movie <laughs> being followed by Silence of the of the Lambs that kind of went, you know, turned everything this movie did up to eleven. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like if you watch Tim Burton's Batman, and instead of getting a sequel to Tim Burton's Batman, you got the Dark Knight, which is like just on a different, like just level in general in terms of mm-hmm. the kind of complexity of the story. It's 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 more or less something like that. Um, obviously, I picked this movie, so I do like Manhunter. Uh, I like it more now than I ever did when I was younger. When I was younger, I used to think that Red Dragon was better. I just maybe because I read the novel and it just felt like it was pulling more from the novel and because silence of the lambs has left such an impression on me when i'm reading hannibal lecter on the page i'm picturing anthony hopkins 
<laughs> you know so like mm-hmm. in a weird way maybe i could picture anthony hopkins and will peterson like in my mind because will peterson is will graham to me like it's just yeah. weird like the way my brain works when i'm reading these novels it's really strange but i love this movie because of the mood it feels like a cool introduction to this michael mann style that i will see in stuff like heat it reminds me of stuff like uh thief as well just because again it's just it's this great action like like you said, it's this awesome, like interesting cop and 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 criminal, like you know, back and forth that exists in a lot of his movies. That is just one of those things that you don't really like see a lot of people focus on in the way that he does. Even mm-hmm. though like the characters are kind of cold, there's nothing particularly like you know too personally interesting about these characters. It's more of like a plot thing than anything. Um, it's still just a movie that I appreciate more. And I just think of it as like one of those great like cult movies that I like going back to at any moment. Like this movie, it's not objectively great, but it is a awesome like cult movie. And as I said, just like a great like student film experimentation to where like this is what happens when you give two different directors the same script. They'll both give you the their their own interpretation of the source material and seeing Michael Mann's interpretation of this Hannibal Lecter story and this, uh, you know, this novel is an interesting way to go. So I would like thank you guys for joining us for this episode. Uh, please continue to interact with us on social media. Please continue to uh, download our episodes on Apple Podcasts. Listen to us on Spotify, whatever your uh, streaming service or podcast service of choice is. Uh, please uh, continue to follow the show there. And uh, we already released the schedule for all of our movies that are coming up. So uh, we can't wait to continue to provide all of this uh, new episodes leading into Halloween. So even though we'll probably, we'll probably do about half of it. That's true horror. I think you guys will enjoy the movies that we're going to be covering uh, throughout this month. What do we got next? Hellboy, yeah, that's a hobby pick. Yeah, so next week we will be talking Hellboy, and uh, this is going to be cool for me because I only saw Hellboy once, and I remember absolutely nothing about it. So it really is going to feel like a first time watch for me when we watch this for next week. So we'll talk to you guys. And next just week. remind, mm-hmm. well, just a reminder to fans: this is also going to be the Ron Perlman 2004 Hellboy. We're not, we're not talking about the Daniel Harbor one from like three years ago. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh my God, Hellboy was remade, and I've already forgotten about it. That goes to show <laughs> you how garbo that movie was. Oh, all right, so uh, yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk Hellboy next week. All right, later, y'all.